0: The blueberry industry is like no other passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, President of the U.S. High Bush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist.
1: Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. I'm back in the office this week after a fantastic week in Michigan, followed by a week of vacation. We have a lot of exciting interviews planned for this podcast. As we get those recorded, I wanted to share with you part two of last week's episode, with Brad Moore of MBG Marketing. If you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, I highly recommend you do so. Brad has a great perspective on the industry, especially in terms of cooperatives and marketers and the need for everyone to remain focused on grower profitability. As a refresher, Brad took over the role as president and CEO of MBG Marketing from Larry Ensfield this past May. Prior to that, he served as CFO and vice president of MBG's value-added business. Today, we resume our conversation by tackling topics of improving flavor differentiation in the industry and what Brad sees as important drivers for the future of our industry. This was recorded on the road in Michigan a couple of weeks ago. So here's part two of my conversation with Brad.
2: Without getting into a lot of inside baseball, I would just say that our board is, is very squarely aligned with the interest of the members that it represents. We have an 11-member board of directors that are all growers. We don't have any outside paid professional board members And, you know, you can say, well, there's pluses and minuses to having a a board made up of growers versus industry professionals. But really, I think it's unique to our co-op model that those guys are on the board. And whether you're a thousand acre grower or a 40 acre grower, you have the opportunity to run for the board of directors. We have an election once a year where we elect uh, members from the various producing regions in accordance with our bylaws. And, you know, the other thing is. The transparency. We publish our financial statements every year for all of our members to see literally every penny that comes in the door and where it goes out and who it's paid to. So whether you're a big grower or a small grower, you can have comfort that those folks that you've elected to the board to represent your interest are truly doing so. And that's a really important difference in my mind from all the time I've spent in the industry and I've traveled around the world and talked to growers and You know, understood what drives their marketing decisions because, you know, at our core, that's what we are as a marketing organization. And we provide other services, but really it's about the markets, I think. And what I find more often than not is just a lack of understanding of who we are and what we do. I don't think we've done a really good job over the years of tooting our own horn. (laughs) It's not really in our DNA as farmers or employees at the co op. We have a worldwide brand. A world class marketing company that we own one third of in Natureite Farms. They're the largest blueberry marketer in the world. I think it's second largest strawberry, blackberry, and raspberry by market share. But a billion plus dollar entity, and so you know, we certainly have folks that are out front and on the the marketing side. But it's not really in our DNA to tell our story, and that's something that I think that we see within the the grower community is you guys are MBG remind me like what it is exactly you do and so when we have that opportunity we take advantage and more often than not once folks understand who we are and our model what I, I like to call it our value proposition you know a lot of times it's well how much does it cost to be a member and we go through that and They say, well, what do I get for that, uh, for my membership dues and the operating costs, the commission rate, essentially, that you charge to sell my fruit? And we list out all of the services. You know, it's not just a marketing firm. We've got a proprietary breeding program that may, in fact, be our most valuable asset. We've got a world-class frozen fruit and vegetable brokerage business that we're a majority owner in that is one of the fastest-growing companies in its space. We also... Have investments in uh, our Natureite family of companies, whether it's Natureite Farms, Natureite Brands, which is the holding company that owns the rights to the Natureite label itself.
1: Maybe we could talk a little bit about that. I mean, for our audience who's not familiar with the relationship you're describing, you're part owner of Nature Ripe, so.
2: Yeah. So there's four partners in the Natureite family of companies, and what we refer to as the mothership is the Fresh Berry Sales Company. It's Natureite Farms. It was originally called Global Berry Farms. It was a partnership between MBG Marketing, Horty Fruit, and Naturite right Berry Growers out of Salinas, California. And then it evolved when NBG, Naturite right Berry, came in. We said, hey, that Naturite right name sounds a little more catchy than Global Berry Farms. How about that? And so we changed our name. That's probably been 18 or 20 years ago. And so now we go to market as Nature Ripe. Since then, we've taken on an additional partner. The Munger Brothers out of Delano, California are a, a 10% owner. And so collectively, as I mentioned earlier, we have the world's largest market share in blueberries and second largest in, in all of the other berry categories. So it's a an entity that served us well over the years. And, you know, as the world has become a global marketplace, obviously, and now it's 52 week a year, fresh availability for all commodities that we ship. I think the vision at one time was every berry, every way, every day. So if you want it fresh or frozen or puree or concentrate or juice or you want a blackberry or strawberry, or raspberry, you know, every berry, every day, every way. And that was really the competitive advantage that NatureRipe was founded upon. But today there's a number of companies that have seen the success in the marketplace that that strategy's really resonated with the retail buying community. And so, you know, today that's no longer really a competitive advantage as a half a dozen or so other folks that can make the same claim. But as I look to the future, I believe it's really around one thing and, and one thing only. And I think it's proprietary genetics. When I tour the country and I see the what I'll call the legacy varieties that are being grown in Florida and Georgia and North Carolina, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, California, Washington, Oregon, British Columbia. Those are the primary states that we operate in. So those are the the production mix that I'm familiar with. You know, there's a lot of um, genetics that are, are still commercially viable, don't get me wrong, But there is uh, newer, better stuff coming down the pipeline. And whether you're an MBG member and you have access to our Berry Blue program or you're an independent grower that maybe is aligned with a, a Fall Creek or one of the university public breeding programs, I think the future of the industry is in delighting the consumer every day. And you want to make sure that when they eat a blueberry, their first reaction is, oh my goodness, what an experience, what an explosion of flavor. You know, we all know the health benefits, more and more consumers and the job Casey and his team are doing, getting that message out to the world. It's about delighting the consumer. And if you can do that with any variety of berry, you're going to be successful. But some of the proprietary genetics that we've been working on for 15 or more years...
1: And this has been through your, your Berry Blue program, so this is a uh, part of your overall company structure, or, or did you say?
2: It's a separate company that's wholly owned by MBG. So we own 100% of, of Berry Blue today. It originally began as a partnership with our natureite partners at Horty Fruit. And for many years, we had one combined program that focused on the low-chill, no-chill varieties that are more of the southern high bush that are grown throughout the southern United States and Latin America. And then you had the mid to high chill varieties that are more prolific here in the northern climates. About 18 months or so ago, we decided that Hortifruit would focus on the low chill varieties. We would focus on the high chill. So we actually split the program. They're doing some things a little bit differently on the genetics at their place. But it's something that we are just fiercely committed to at MBG and we believe it is the future for the growers that we represent and and frankly for the industry too but we just think everybody needs to as they're reevaluating the next generation of their farm because for a lot of these southern highbush cultivars you may get a 15 maybe 15-year life cycle on average, let's say for a plant that you put in the ground, 30-plus years on a northern high bush. These are generational decisions that you're making, and it's becoming more and more costly to invest in an acre of production blueberries. You know, it can be north of $25,000 per acre to really do it right. So it's a significant investment for most family farms. It's a generational investment. So you want to get it right. And uh, that's where we really help a grower understand what's their variety production mix today. What does it need to look like five years, 10 years, 30 years from now? And maybe Berry Blue has a part to play in that, maybe some of the others, but it's about delighting the consumer because if we can all do that as an industry, the growth in consumption continues to either keep pace with or even outpace the increase in production then we're going to have healthy markets into the future. As soon as the consumption begins to slow down and the production growth outpaces that and you get an imbalance in supply and demand is when, as a commodity, as an industry group, we're all going to have tough times. And we think a lot about those things internally, and we have a lot of discussions with our board and our grower mix about the state of the industry. So I'm gonna jump right in here to
1: cut to this week's crop report. Many areas have wrapped up their peak season, but as you know, the Pacific Northwest is still going strong and we've got some fruit coming in from both Peru and Mexico. So here, once again, is your Blueberry Crop Report.
0: It's time now for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Doug Kramer in Oregon, Brian Sakuma in Washington, and Mario Ramirez in Mexico. This was recorded on August 10th, 2022. This is Doug Kramer reporting
3: for Oregon. We got a cooler week this week than last week. Last last week was still really warm for us. It has really accelerated the ripening of our fruit. We're pretty much through the mid-seasons and getting started in the late-season varieties. Um, and they look fine. This is a cooler week, uh, but we haven't really nosed into them far enough to have a good uh, feel for where we're at quality-wise yet, but I do anticipate that things are going to look good now that the weather has cooled down. Uh, Yields are still coming in light, But on the fresh side, uh, people are moving as much fruit fresh as what the packing lines can handle. And probably the end that's getting shorted the most right now is the processed side. And things are going along probably got up to another month uh, of production out of Oregon. And so We're looking forward to cooler weather and good quality.
4: This is Brian Sakuma from the state of Washington. Blueberries are well on their way through the season. Uh, Eastern Washington is probably on the last part of their leg of harvest. They're finished draper into Calypso and probably in the next week, uh, looking at the, the final uh, late varieties of Aurora and Last Call. Um, Western Washington is a little bit behind. Uh, we've been having moderate weather. We're supposed to have maybe a little bit of cooling for a day or two, and then it's supposed to get a little bit better. Uh, Western Washington is Finishing up their Duke picks as we speak, and are transitioning to the mid to mid late varieties. Uh, should be doing some calypso by the mid or latter part of this next week, and then uh, following with Aurora and Last Call and Elliot. So quality is good for hand harvesting. A lot of people are going to the machine with the uh, IQF thing. So that's the report for Washington. Here's the Mexican bluegrass report for 31
5: weeks. This week we decreased in volume 41%, which is a uh, natural behavior in the in Mexican industry uh, due to the August month. We'll keep decreasing uh, until half of September or maybe beginning of October, we, we can grow our volumes. The total volume exported to all the world was 86,000 pounds. And from this 83,000 pounds goes to North America. From this volume, 2% was organic blueberries. Mexico export in, in frozen 41,000 pounds. It means a decrease of 30%. Uh, to the previous week. And the temperatures continue high and and we keep with the rains, but there are no affectations reported. That's all in our report.
1: Well, thanks so much to our busy growers and colleagues who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our Data and Insights Center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry. We have added a lot more features to this dashboard, including USDA shipping, price, and movement, retail category performance, Nielsen monthly retail sales report, and much, much more. You also notice that we've added the uh, 2021 impact report. So make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check all that out. Now, back to my interview with Brad Moore of MBG Marketing. So let's talk about that global marketplace from your vantage point. I know nature ripe but As a co-op, is there a culture of exporting?
2: Yeah, we we have export business on both the East Coast and the West Coast. Not a lot from the Midwest for logistical reasons, obviously. I mean, you know, Canada is an export market technically, but I guess I'm really talking EU and, and Pacific Rim. We have very significant export markets for U.S. production within the MBG network that has been very good business for us over the years
1: well and there's a lot to go get we're working just above 5% of the total us production numbers being exported into other places parts of the world and when when you look at i think the numbers that you can find on our website today on where we're at with per capita consumption and where we're at with household penetration rate where you're at with just what we believe to be the you know the per capita consumption of china i mean if there are just some dials that get turned up in this global marketplace there really isn't enough blueberries to meet future demand, you know, should that demand be successfully generated. I'm going to
2: sound like a broken record again here because, you know, the the only reason that we haven't exploited export sales markets at an even greater rate is uh, the amount of available fruit that has the quality. And for folks that are listening to this podcast, you're in the industry, it doesn't have the legs, Right. To ship to those markets, it's maybe five to ten percent of our total production, on an annual basis, has got the legs for export. And you know, what's the number one determinant of fruit quality? Well, a lot of it is genetic, right? And so, obviously, horticultural practices and weather and fruit handling and and the cold chain. There's a lot of other factors downstream, but it all begins at the field level, and it's varietal. And to the extent that we can plant another 10,000, 20,000 acres of these new genetics, it's only going to give us that many more opportunities to export because some of this fruit that we're seeing is just phenomenal.
1: Well, and you guys are packaging it up differently. I mean, you've got your own now this Mighty Blues package. I mean, talk a little bit about how you're taking advantage of marketing those genetics differently
2: Well, I think from the market side, it's all consumer driven. And, you know, there's a a trend within the consumer world that larger fruit must be better fruit, at least as it relates to blueberries. A lot of times, if you're on social media or any, you'll see a a quarter, the United States quarter next to a blueberry. And if the berry is bigger than the quarter, then people are, you know, they'll say, oh, these are large berries. So that's kind of the benchmark, if you will. It's 19 millimeters or above is what we consider a large berry. I think most in the industry probably do too, between 19 and 23 millimeters. And the consumer has demonstrated that they're willing to pay a premium for those larger berries. And again, it comes back to varieties. Some are really large, but don't have a good flavor. You know, Maybe they're 22 millimeters on average, but they taste like cardboard. And so you've got to have a large berry with the right flavor profile, the right firmness, the right ability to ship to... To different markets, and if you have that combination, then there are consumers in the marketplace that are willing to pay a premium for that fruit, and we do take advantage of that. There are other folks in the industry that are shipping consistently large size packs, so you know it's like anything else. Um, today, that's really good business, and I think that as these proprietary genetics make their way into the the marketplace more and more, it's going to come less of a competitive advantage than what it is today, but certainly been, been good for our, our marketing.
1: Well, and, and I know Mighty Blues, like how long has that been being marketed?
2: Oh, we started messing around with that probably six or eight years ago, and we've called it a few different thing. I think we called them jumbos at first. It evolved to Mighty Blues. And again, I, it, it came back to the demand was there, but we just didn't have enough of what I'll call legacy varieties. So in the in the sun belt that would be like a star, an emerald, a jewel of the southern high bush category, or in northern high bush land, a, a blue crop or an Elliot, maybe a draper or a few other Liberty Aurora, some of those, but just consistently sized at nineteen millimeters or above, you don't see that in these legacy varieties and That's what a lot of the breeding programs, both public and private, have been going towards. So a lot of the the newer varieties do have a tendency to produce larger fruit. And again, it seems to be what the consumer is is demanding. And they vote with their pocketbooks. And certainly we we get the message when they see that, that large, beautiful, outstanding flavor, firm fruit. They reward us <laughs> as, as growers and marketers when we're able to meet that bar.
1: Do you see more of that in the future? I mean, do you see yourself as Nature Ripe adding to those labels in ways that call out, in this case, a size and, and a, maybe a flavor? Not, like you said, you're not the only one. You know, we've talked about the uh, sweetest batch with Driscoll's.
2: You know, I don't know. You can look at some of the other commodity groups. Apple's come to mind where they're marketing by variety today.
1: Uh, and I'm not saying market by variety, but do you see where there will be the ability in the future for flavor profiles to come forward? I think, you know, we talked this afternoon and during, we had a breeder's roundtable and Patricio was talking about categories, you know, where you've got the jumbos, but the other category could be flavor. But there's basically these these tiers of what the consumer can experience. So maybe you could talk like, is there a future in that from your perspective?
2: Well, I don't know. I think it depends on how good of a job industry associations like USHBC and others can educate the consumer. You know, if you make it too complicated and you say, well, we've got, we have this platform of blueberries that have a flavor profile from extremely tart to extremely sweet and everything in the middle. And this is how we're going to characterize it. That's a a lot of re-education into the blueberry consuming public to get their mindset around. Does my family prefer the the more tart, high acid varieties, or the have a different sugar acid ratio that create the sweeter berry? Do we like the large, crunchy berries? I mean, I think that it's it's human nature. They go into the their retailer of choice, their supermarket, and they look at the berries. And if there's two or three labels on the shelf. You know, we're all packing in clear clamshells for a reason, and they're looking at the fruit quality from the visual eye, and they're, they're making their selections based on what they think is the likely to be the highest quality berry that, that they can see on the shelf, and then they can take it home and either have a good or a bad flavor experience. And we do get that feedback from time to time, just like I'm sure other marketers do too. But I guess I'm not sure how you, you educate an entire consumer group Around that, given the resources that we have today, I mean, certainly flavor is one of the most important attributes that us and others are, are breeding towards. But it's it's going to take a lot of education actually be able to sell and and command a premium price for that from the consumer.
1: We're going to take a quick break right here for our blueberry boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Engagement and Education Amanda Griffin.
6: Thanks, Casey. For this week's Blueberry Boost, we are highlighting the 2021 Impact Report. This report details last year's efforts across all program areas and working toward the USHBC vision to make blueberries the world's favorite fruit. Guided by the 2021 to 2025 Strategic Plan, which addresses the long-term tactics used to drive domestic household penetration and demand for blueberries worldwide, We recap 2021 progress and achievements in consumer promotions, health research, food service, industry relations, export and food manufacturing, and annual meetings taking place in the spring and fall. An overview of the organization, its committees, staff, and financials is also included. The report can be accessed on ushbc.blueberry.org and in the USHBC Data and Insights Center, along with past reports. Thanks to the collaboration across our industry and a strong guiding vision, we are poised to continue to drive the blue wave and move toward an era of continued growth and innovation. Speaking of growth and innovation, don't forget to secure your spot for the Blueberry Summit this fall in Nashville, Tennessee. We will be taking over the Music City Wednesday, October 5th through Friday, October 7th. The week will have inspiring keynotes, business solutions through interactive exhibits, and networking opportunities at receptions and the NABC-USHBC Dinner. So make sure to secure your seat today. Visit us at BlueberryEvents.org for more details and to register now. You will also find more information on how to connect with our passionate Blueberry community through the exhibitor and sponsor opportunities. This has been your weekly Blueberry Boost. Now, Casey, back to you. Thanks, Amanda. Now
1: back to today's episode. And from your perspective, I mean, there's certainly organizations like ours, um, but there's the retailers themselves where you're seeing you know, some of this pressure coming from retailers because of the consumer that their niche audience represents and so it seems like you have this you know both opportunity and challenge of servicing that customer who's wanting to operate with differentiation that differentiation is going to be coming from you know quality characteristics that could be flavor could be size but
2: yeah, I mean, I could see the industry evolving to that point. But I think many of this target audience would understand what I'm about to say is, in some cases, the bar was pretty low already. I mean, we, we've got some really great stuff. And we've got some, some stuff that we all probably wish we didn't ship from time to time, if we're just being honest. And so I think when we look at that, you know, the consumer experience is really what it's all about. And however, that consumer is able to buy a box of berries and say, man, these were terrible. I don't don't know if I like blueberries or not. And then six months go by and they're in the produce section again and they see a box. Oh, those berries look beautiful. I'm going to try these again. And they have a totally different experience. And now they're a, a berry consumer again. I mean, I think it's really that simple. I'm not sure that when we start to overthink how we go to market with different flavor profiles or even by variety, like some of these other industries, I mean, maybe that resonates with the consumer. I'm just not sure we're there yet today. What we hear consistently, the feedback from our customers is, again, they they want to delight the consumer and however that consumer defines, you know, whatever it is to them to be delighted is really the bar we're trying to clear today.
1: Well, I appreciate this time. You know, is there anything else you want to share before we let you go?
2: If you'd have told me even... uh uh, not that long ago that somebody would want to interview me and and have my thoughts broadcast to the type of audience that that Casey's got on his podcast. I'd have shook my head and said, "Man, you're crazy. Nobody cares about, I think <laughs> so I'm a little bit like a fish yeah. out of water here. I, yeah. I don't do a lot of these, so my apologies for that but um no i i again, I think the message here is that there's better days ahead in the industry. there's bright days ahead. We've got a really talented core group of both producers and industry professionals that participate in breeding programs at marketers at growers at shippers at industry trade associations like USHBC and the talent level is so great that I think that we're going to continue to see a growing healthy industry for many many years to come with the blueberry and that's what we're all working towards so
1: well it's been a pleasure to sit down with you uh, we'll do this again you know we'll be picking your brain some more so get ready for the next one of these and And again, your enthusiasm and, you know, just looking forward to uh, participating in your tenure in this new role and excited about that future as well. So thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate your time. And uh, again, anything else you think we could be doing as an organization, you know, we look forward to helping move that needle. Well, that's it for episode 109. Thanks again to Brad for being on our show. And I'm excited to share more episodes like this with you in the future. So make sure you're subscribed to the show on your podcast platform of choice. And please share our podcast and this episode with others so they can be a part of the conversation as well. As always, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on The Business of Blueberries.